You can't do that. It's wrong. You can't do that. Because it's naughty. Because it's wrong. Because it's wrong. You can't do that. It's wrong. I'll kick your ass. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we got another good episode. What the hell? I know. Now I remember why we loved this season. Yeah. Also, this episode contains what, weirdly enough, might be my favorite scene in Once Upon a Time. Is it the opening montage with Charming and Snow White showing how they're adjusting to the curse? Yeah, uh, we're gonna save actually talking about it for when it comes up, you know, in a few minutes, but... uh. It's such a good scene, and it's so weird that this is my favorite thing that the show ever did, and it's a Snow White Prince Charming thing. So this is uh, episode eight of season six, I'll Be Your Mirror. It's not a great name, uh, and I don't really get how it relates to the episode outside of mirrors being a big thing in this episode. Okay, but I'll Be Your Mirror refers both to... The fact that we're going to get trapped in a mirror universe, mm-hmm. but also the way David and Mary Margaret are having to reflect each other and not actually be in contact. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can see it. So as a reminder, the evil queen cast a spell on David and Mary Margaret's shared heart. It's a sleeping curse, but it's got a twist. Whenever one of them wakes the other one up with a sleeping curse, it affects the other person and they fall under the sleeping curse. Right, so neither of them can break the curse because true love's kiss just knocks the other one out, and they just go back and forth. Now, as you pointed out last episode, true love's kiss can also be parental, so, you know. Why doesn't Emma just break the curse? Yeah, but... Maybe Emma doesn't love her parents. I mean, fair. They've done... They've done a fair amount of shit to Emma. (laughs) I mean, really... This is this is not so much a plot hole as a burn on Emma and the Charming's relationship. And uh, Regina is trying to find a way to stop the Evil Queen, which, as another reminder, is the evil part of herself that she Jekyll and Hyde it out of her, clearly not realizing, you know. That's a dumb idea. It's a dumb idea. In text, even. Well, she thought that she could pull out the evil part of her and then kill that evil part. What she did not know was that, much like with the curse where David and Mary Margaret affect each other... Your good and evil halves affect each other, so the only way for the evil queen to die is for Regina to die. Mm. She's basically just a part of Regina who's living outside of her body now. Yeah, basically. As long as Regina's alive, that part of her can't die. Yeah. So the episode opens with a montage showing how David and Mary Margaret are coping with being under this curse. It starts with Mary Margaret saying that This is basically the monkey's paw answer to her saying that she wants things to go back to normal last week. Yeah, she's like, oh, wait, I I, I realized this is normal for us. We've spent the vast majority of our relationship with one or the other of us in a coma. Regina is fired up to go out and stop the evil queen because she is really feeling guilty about what happened to David and Mary Margaret because, you know, the evil queen is... 
at some level a part of her. Let's be clear here. Regina is talking to Emma about killing herself. Yeah. And it's actually really great. There's They're going to have this conversation throughout the episode, but it's great because they're talking to each other not just as friends or what have you whatever it is that their relationship is but also as co-parents to henry Uh, because emma says no you can't kill yourself one because i love you and i don't want you to die and b because i'm gonna die pretty soon and henry needs at least one mom it's a great scene between the two of them and it sort of leans into the fact that the i know this is just my little shipper heart talking but why weren't regina and emma endgame I mean, they are in my heart and mind. You know what? If we never watch the last season, we can just pretend that's what happens. Ignoring what happens in the penultimate episode. Yeah. Hey, there's another Hook and another Regina and another Cinderella. Maybe there's another Emma. Who ends up with another Regina? Well, I mean, that is possible because of the multiversal nature of this show. It wouldn't be our Emma and our Regina. That's true. That's true. So Mary Margaret gives the rest of the storybook crew a note for David for when he wakes up. And then she goes to kiss him and wake him up when she notices the mirror next to their bed. I really love this. She starts freaking out and she smashes the mirror because she realizes that the evil queen can watch them through mirrors because it's season one again. Yes! Okay, it is great, and it has a great shot where she smashes the mirror, and then we cut to the evil queen watching them in a hand mirror, and the hand mirror fogging up because it's been broken. And I love that, but honestly, part of me is like, Mary Margaret, you just took on seven years bad luck when you could have just thrown a coat over it! Well, what it reminds me of is uh, when we have the Belle Rumple episode in season one, And she sees all of the mirrors in his house are covered. Right, and she thinks it's because he can't stand to look at his sparkly skin. But actually, it's because he knows that Regina is watching him. Yeah. Or would be if he had them uncovered. And it's a really good horror moment. Yes, the dawning realization that the monster is there in the room with you. We've said it before, this show is best when it borrows horror tropes. Mm -hmm. Like all fairy tales. So I jumped the gun by saying the episode opens with a montage. There's the cold open, which we just had, and then we get the montage. Which, the cinematography is just so good, and it's stylistic in a way this show isn't often. There's a split screen that comes and goes, and it portrays how the characters are communicating with each other. Right, they're sharing a notebook back and forth. Mary Margaret writes, we're going to beat this, and David cooks her breakfast and writes in the notebook, of course we are, we're the charmings, we never face consequences for things, and then kisses her, leaving the breakfast for her, which I think is very sweet. And it shows them both taking turns, taking care of baby Neil. Hey, look, they remember they had a baby. (laughs) Right? Mary Margaret films a video of herself with baby Neil and then leaves it out for David to find when he wakes up. It's a really interesting look into how a modern couple would deal with a fairy tale curse. Yeah, I liked it. It it brings a kind of reality to the show, like it grounds the show in a way that in a way that made me 
really like it and really appreciate David and Mary Margaret for a change. This whole scene is really well done. And in a weird way, it kind of reminds me of Penelope. I have not seen... Wait, do you mean the movie with the girl with the face? Yes. Okay. Have you not seen Penelope? I haven't seen Penelope. Oh, you should see Penelope. But it has this really good modern day fairy tale feel where people are just... You're just using the modern world to compensate for a curse. Wait, what is Penelope's curse? Okay, uh, Penelope's curse is that she has the pig nose. Okay, okay. And a lot of people point out it's not actually that big of a deal if you're prepared for it. See, the thing is, I only know, all I know about that movie is that all of the art for it, all of the posters and stuff, have Christina Ricci with the bottom half of her face covered. So I didn't know what the deal was, I just knew that there was a deal there. Oh, yeah. They build up to it. Okay. Got it. Okay. It's also a lot about classism. You would really like Penelope. I should I should watch it sometime. I think it's on Netflix. Mm. It's interesting, though, because when you said Penelope, I thought about the Odyssey uh. and kind of the waiting for your lover, which is what David and Mary Margaret are doing here. Oh, that so- actually works better, I think. <laughs> well, it's funny because it's the same. it's the same scenario, right? Obviously, it's different in that Penelope is waiting for Odysseus to come home from the war, but it's the same thing where we see her at home weaving her her mourning shawl and then unraveling it every day so that she can reweave it so that her suitors are put off. Mm. That's her plotline in the Odyssey. Homer did not write great roles for women. Yes, but my point is that it's the same thing where it's a person kind of waiting out the end of the adventure and uh, we're watching them do domestic things while they wait out the end of the adventure. And that's what's happening with David and Mary Margaret. We're watching these domestic scenes that are part of kind of waiting out the curse. Yeah. So very well done show. We go from that to uh, Regina having a secret ish meeting with Emma. Yes. In her crypt. Now, for some reason, they've decided to go to the dragon about this. Because they say the dragon is the only person in this world who has magic? Yeah, okay. Emma's trying to get in contact with the dragon because he's the only one in the land without magic who has magic. Okay, but everyone in Storybook has magic. Yeah, and as we saw in, you know... Every episode that the dragon has been in? He's not actually that powerful. He's only powerful because he has a little bit of magic. It's like in the world without magic, the prestidigitator is king. Henry was the one who had to do the heavy lifting in the episode the dragon recently helped you guys out in. Right? Why don't they go to Henry? Or as you are so fond of pointing out, the blue fairy. Mm. Although really, Henry would be the person to go to here because he would be like, why don't you just kiss them? Like, I've read the book. Also, this happened to me at the end of season one. Right? Emma, you literally broke the curse by kissing Henry. I mean, surely somebody loves, probably not David, but Snow White enough. The dwarves, maybe. Oh, maybe you have to have true love with both David and Mary Margaret for it to work. Well, that's a tall order. (laughs) Right. They could probably just make the baby kiss one of them. Babies are Do babies feel love? Yeah, like greedy, selfish love. I don't know. Is love something that... Is love a higher emotion? Is it something that's born into us or is it something that we learn how to do? No, I think it's a fundamental emotion. 
it just starts out with all of the negative parts of love and then the positive stuff comes later. Okay, but the positive parts of love, the parts that are, as you say, selfish. Aren't selfish. No, no, the, but the parts of love that are selfish, the parts of love that are like, that cause you to be like, I need you here in my line of sight because I don't have object permanence yet. And also I can't feed myself. Like those parts of love, are they true love? Okay, well, we have to get into what true love is then because we have Rumple and Belle who have love but not true love because it's abusive. But we've also seen other people who have abusive relationships in the show who have true love, apparently, so... Okay, wait, so I don't think Rumple and Belle's love is not true because it's abusive. And by the way, I'm speaking in the context of the show. Yes, true love as being a specific form of love that can break curses. Right. Obviously not, you know, in the context of... Real life. Right. But I think that they don't have true love because... Rumple is holding himself back, right? So Rumple is not giving himself completely to Belle, not because of the very abusive nature of their relationship that the show really doesn't acknowledge enough. Hmm. Especially, I'm going to get really upset this episode, by the way, when we get to the end. So to defend my Neil theory, my baby Neil theory about kissing him. Okay. Uh, Gideon managed to wake up his mom with true love's kiss as a fetus. Okay, but Gideon was a full-ass man because well, time like means psychic, nothing he was like a psychic time ghost thing right i mean honestly that was like gideon from the future gideon from the dreaming right yeah which we're gonna get into a whole baby chris from charm situation when we lean into the gideon uh, plot that's uh coming up i mean are we i i see that that's accurate that we're gonna talk about chris from charmed but it's so so taken wholesale from sandman that i can't possibly think about anything else i'm just thinking about the way they wrap up the gideon storyline okay which is fundamentally horrifying if you think about it well i mean it's not like they introduced gideon as a character who was obviously supposed to be something else and then retconned him into being bell and rumple's son because the actress playing bell got pregnant yeah, yeah. Oh, God, the Chris plotline. I love that they legitimately, they had him sleep with someone who was pretending to be Phoebe. Oh, God. And then and then it's like, oh, but he knew it wasn't the real Phoebe. And it's like, yeah, it's still his aunt. I mean, they don't reveal it until later after, after Holly Marie Combs got pregnant and they definitely had to change it no matter what they said. Because it's so much creepier if that was the plan all along. It's like the Luke and Leia kiss in Star Wars. I don't care what anyone says. George Lucas did not know that he was going to write them to be brother and sister. Mm. And also, the wrap-up to the Gideon plot may be disturbing, but is it as disturbing as the end of the movie version of Lost in Space? Because, do you remember the plot to Lost in Space? The movie? I just remember that Dr. Smith turns into, like, a spider guy and was controlling an army of spiders and Joey Tribbiani was there. Those are all things that are true. Also, Lacey Chabert. Was she the daughter in that? Lacey Chabert is the daughter in that. Also, there's a terrible CGI monkey. Yes. Yes, there is. But there's time travel in it as well. Oh, are they helped out by the kid from the future? They're helped out from their son from the future. And then the future son dies. And then they're all, like, mourning the fact that future son died. Spoilers for the end of the movie version of Lost in Space, I guess. And their actual son is still there. And it's like, you know that he's... 
him, right? And then they're like, and everything is all wrapped up and done. And it's like, not really. Dr. Smith is still infected. He just hasn't turned into a spider monster yet. How are you going to deal with that? That's weird because do you remember Zathura? I didn't see it. Okay, it has legitimately the same plot in that like- I thought Zathura was Jumanji in space. It is Jumanji in space, but they're helped out by this like astronaut guy. It's like this kid and his sister and- And then the astronaut guy turns out to be the kid from the future? Yeah. Okay. So that's weird. Well, I mean, both Jumanji, Zathura apparently, and the new Jumanji movie all involve- weird time loops that come from playing the game so that's okay that's just part of the jumanji genre Mm. it's part of the jumanji extended universe weird time loops i really liked the new jumanji movie i did too i did not expect to and i did yeah i it may have helped that i i either didn't see the original jumanji or i saw it and it was like eh like i have very few memories and they may have just come from other people talking about it okay i am I have always been the way I am. So when I saw the Jumanji movie, it didn't like implant into the nostalgia part of my brain because the other part of my brain, small child Tina, was like, that's not how the picture book goes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder how many kids had that with Shrek. That's a good question. I feel like Shrek probably hasn't aged great. That's almost certainly true. So in the crypt... Emma and Regina are discussing what to do about the evil queen because, you know, she can't be killed because that would kill Regina. And and so Regina's plan is instead to trap her. To trap her in a mirror. Solid. Yeah. This is funny because Regina trapped her mother in a mirror back in the day, back when she was both herself and the evil queen. But when she trapped her mother in the mirror, her mother got trapped in Wonderland. This is just a mirror dimension. Yes, this is just like a mirror room. You know, like at the end of the Magician series. Yes. Or like the place Mirror Master goes through, the Flash villain. Okay. So they need something to lure the queen into a position where she can be trapped in the mirror, and Henry shows up and says it's him. He is going to serve as bait. Because she loves him, she's not going to kill him. Also, he's quasi-omnipotent, maybe they should use him more in plots. Speaking of, he also decides to bring his own subplot into this crypt, which is that he wants to ask out Violet to the dance, but he's worried that Violet has has cooled on him because she didn't show up the last time he invited her over to watch John Hughes movies. Apparently, he has a running John Hughes movie night, and the next movie he was going to show was Sixteen Candles to show her his fun side. And oh my god, when did Henry become the best character in this show? I was thinking maybe Violet was like, I know I grew up in Camelot, but even I am kind of creeped out by the racism in that movie. Ooh, and the... And the rape. And the rape. Because that's the movie where, is it Jake Ryan? Sixteen Candles is the one where Jake Ryan gives his drunk girlfriend to... Anthony Michael Hall. Yes. As a reward? I mean, mean, it's as a reward and it's to get her out of the way so he can hook up with Molly uh, Ringwald. Yeah. It's not great. Nope. Nope, it's not. I mean, no, it's not great at all. At all. It's one of those things where, like, I tried watching Animal House, and I'm like, you you know, you get to the scene where he's trying to figure out whether or not he should rape the unconscious uh, underage girl, and you're like, how is this a movie a lot of people like? 
Yeah, I mean, it's honestly kind of horrifying to see what was okay in 80s movies. Mm. We're not even, well, I was going to say we're not even touching on Revenge of the Nerds, the movie that is aggressively pro-rape, but Revenge of the Nerds. I mean, I don't, don't, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to get into it. Now, the first one he showed her was Breakfast Club, which I'm running through in my head. Oh, no. I feel like that's the safest John Hughes movie. Yeah, I don't think there's any... There's definitely no rape in it. And they're all white kids, so there's no opportunity for racism. Hmm. I mean, really the worst thing in it is uh, Molly Ringwald giving uh, giving that girl a makeover for no reason. Where she looks much worse afterwards. Ali Sheedy, I think. It is Ali Sheedy. And I'm not even, I don't even really have a problem with that because it's not the greatest trope to be like, I'm going to make you pretty so that guys like you. But also, she's just bored in detention. Like, I get, I'm bored in detention, let me braid your hair. And Ali Sheedy doesn't have long hair, so she has to put makeup on her. Yeah. Yeah. Also notable in Breakfast Club is that... Claire, Molly Ringwald's character, has sushi for lunch, and Bender is like, oh my god, that's disgusting. I like how even just a few years ago, people were like, ooh, sushi, and now Americans love it so much that we're dangerously overfishing the waters. Well, there was that period in the 90s where every show had to have a, whoa, sushi's a thing that exists episode. It's weird how quickly we as a culture came around to sushi. Yeah, yeah. Also, I mean, it's delicious, so I guess that's why. So, anyway, Henry's worried that Violet was only into him because he was a modern dude in a non-modern context, and now he is a modern dude in a modern context. So, this is so funny. I was just watching a video from Pop Culture Detective Agency yesterday. The Born Sexy Yesterday one? The Born Sexy Yesterday, where the fantasy is, basically, you're the only man she's ever known, so of course she's into you, and... I mean, I don't have to explain why that's a fantasy for a lot of guys. This is a trope that goes back, you know, pre, pre-television, pre-movies. This is, this is the Tempest, right? Oh, strange new world that has such creatures in it. This is Miranda seeing a man for the first time and being like, oh, I'm interested in that. Somewhat differently, this is every Dances with Wolves, Fern Gully, Avatar thing where a native girl is introduced to someone from a foreign land and falls for him because he is different. Sure. I mean, the thing that made Henry special was that he was removed from her context. Right. Well, and the reason this is such a the reason this is such a strong fantasy is because you don't have to do anything to be special in it. But Henry, as we point out over and over again, is special. Henry is like a winner. He doesn't have to be the only man she's ever known to be the best man she's ever known. So Henry uh, is feeling doubtful about his relationship with Violet. And Regina's like, why? You're a very interesting, handsome young man who's got a lot going on. For example, the fact that you're basically God. And Henry's like, uh, teenage doubts. Right, which is sweet. And I mean, Regina has to say that because she's his mom. But we we clearly have no bias towards Henry. And we're saying that too. Yeah. So Henry decides he's going to lure the evil queen to the trap. He goes to the one seashore that they have to meet the evil queen. I do like the casual detail that he's listening to his iPod. And as soon as Regina comes, he pops one headphone out, which is a super teenager move. Yeah, very accurate. I didn't even notice that. 
I, I was too distracted by the evil queen's outfit, which is a black outfit in her typical silhouette with this incredible silver beading on the inside of the high collar and then a necklace that matches the silver beading. I was distracted by this seems like a lot more collar than she usually has. She's like that uh, dinosaur that killed that guy from Seinfeld. Or as I know him, that guy from Third Rock from the Sun, Wayne Newton. Yes, it's a high collar that is about twice as high as her high collars usually are. And it's a lot wider, too. It's, like, spread out. Well, I think that's just because it's so much higher. Mm. It has to go somewhere. There needs to be more of a base. So the Evil Queen's like, do you remember why I used to bring you here? Because you were afraid of everything. And I was trying to stop you from being a whiny little coward baby. Because I'm the Evil Queen. And Henry's like, okay, enough story time. This is where we find out that the Evil Queen may have also been Henry's mother, but she was all of the worst parenting things. So she had brought him here because he was afraid of seagulls, and she was like, hey. Aversion therapy! Oh, is that exposure therapy? You know, I'm not actually sure. Whatever. Either way, I just threw you at seagulls over and over again until you weren't afraid of them anymore. And Henry's like, yeah, Henry out. And Emma bamps him away from a distance. Right. The evil queen, before he bamps away, says, I always used to ask myself, how did I raise such a scared little boy? I don't know, evil queen. Maybe he was messed up in the head from being the only person in town who aged. Also, kids are afraid of weird stuff. Well, that's true. So Emma bamps him away, much to the annoyance of the evil queen. She's like, really? Using your my own son against me? That's an evil move. That's my thing. And then Regina says, he's not your son. And the evil queen is like, that's our thing. We say that to Emma. You don't say that to me. You're borrowing all of my moves. And then, oh, God. Regina holds up the mirror to trap the evil queen. And the evil queen is like, I'm you. I already snagged the real mirror trap. And then she traps them. So the evil queen breaks the mirror, since apparently this was the only mirror that can bring you in and out of the mirror world. I guess that's what's going on. Although I think that was really just dramatic flair. I think no mirror can bring you out of it without the evil queen doing it. Mm. So Emma and Regina are now trapped in the mirror dimension. Emma wakes up in this, it's this cave that's like an open air desolate wasteland place it's ruins they're inside of ruins and the sky is red and dark it's a post-apocalypse sky it's the sky of a dying world like um where jadis is from from narnia when the ruins are scattered with mirrors presumably every mirror in storybook is in here because you can look into them and see what's going on everywhere in storybook but not affect anything This is a more effective hell than the hell we spent half a season in. Yes, both in the set, which is great, and also in the torture. My god, to be able to see everything that's happening and not affect it is horrifying. Emma sees Granny primping in front of a mirror and she starts yelling and Regina's like, she can't hear you. We're in a mirror world. This is more of a metaphysical place than an actual place. Regina also says, she can't see you. All she can see is that tragedy of a dress. Because she didn't get all of the snarkiness out when she pulled out the evil, which is fine with me. I think snarkiness is like snake venom, where you inject it and then it fills back up. (laughs) So Emma's like, stop being melodramatic, because Regina 
immediately hops on the giving up train. Of course. She's like, uh, well, I guess we're trapped here forever. Do you have, do you have cards? And I was like, we're not trapped here forever. I mean, Regina has a good point, which is that she can't really defeat the evil queen when the evil queen is more ruthless than she is and also knows everything she knows. And then there's this beautiful moment where the two of them realize that it's going to be okay because Henry's going to figure it out and figure out how to save them. Also, Emma has the unearned confidence of, I say the unearned confidence, but she has the, I guess, regular confidence of being a charming because she's like, we're going to get out of this. I'm a charming. Things always work out for us. I'm certain that the two Simpson children will be rescued. So we have a kind of neat scene where the evil queen is walking up the stairs to the charming's apartment. And we see her silhouette change from uh, the evil queen to Regina. Yes, she is disguising herself as Regina in order to infiltrate the Storybrooke crew. I like that the outfit she's wearing is almost what Regina was wearing, but the collar of the jacket is just a little off. The collar of the jacket makes it into keyhole cleavage. It does, even though, I mean, it's not exactly keyhole cleavage because the jacket's not closed. But yes, that's that's definitely the effect it has. Yeah, because Regina has a lot more straight cuts than this, but this is an evil queen take on a Regina outfit, which is weird because they're the same person, but... I don't even know what I would call that jacket because I've never seen a jacket with a collar like that before. It's really cool, though. Yes. So the evil queen walks in. She's like, hi, I'm Regina, and I definitely trapped the evil queen in the mirror dimension. I'm Regina. Also, Emma went off to New York without telling any of you about it. And Hook's like, why? Regina magically creates a voicemail on Hook's cell phone so that he believes that Emma has just taken off. Mary Margaret goes to the Evil Queen and is like, Oh, Regina, I'm so glad you defeated the Evil Queen. She was a monster with terrible hair and I hate her. And she's everything that's wrong and she definitely deserves to be destroyed. And then we have a little Faith in Buffy's body moment where she's like, I forgot how much you disliked her. <laughs> and Mary Margaret's like, yeah, she's the worst. So Regina straightens Henry's collar. Henry's getting ready for the dance, which he points out Mary Margaret is making him attend. Well, I mean, making him attend. I assume what happened is he was sulking because he didn't know how Violet felt about him. And Mary Margaret gave him a buck-up speech. Mm. That's kind of her specialty. And the evil queen cosplaying as Regina gives him another buck-up speech while doing his tie. And he gets, you get the, uh, there's just a little moment where he's looking at her and you're like, oh, he, he suspects. I don't think he knows yet, but he suspects. Yeah, I don't think he knows until he knows, but he definitely is on edge. He definitely knows something is off. Which is a good instinct to have when you're dealing with people who can take other people's forms. Yeah, he's not about to believe a dog who says that Regina killed someone. Meanwhile, in a different subplot, Belle is trying to break into Rumple's shop, presumably to see Rumple. But it's closed. Rumple has taken off. And I love that she goes to Zelina. Yeah, she goes to the, she goes to Zelina to see if Zelina knows where Rumple is, and Zelina's like, we're not allies why are you at my farmhouse we're not even friends what are you doing here and bell's like well it pains me to say this but we both have complicated relationships with a terrible terrible man uh, a terrible we're terrible person because bell means that in her case it's rumple whereas in zelina's case it's the Re evil queen slash regina yes 
She says we love someone who always lets us down. And I have a little bit of a problem with this. Mm -hmm. Because when Belle says we both love someone who always lets us down, she's speaking as a a victim of abuse, a, a survivor of abuse, because that's the situation. When she says someone who always lets us down, what she's describing is the cycle of abuse, where a person, you know, acts great and then gradually becomes more and more outrageous until eventually you stand up to them and then tries to make it up to you and acts like they've changed, but they haven't. And they're just, it's just part of the cycle where they're acting great. And then it gradually happens again. That's not Zelina's situation. That's not Zelina's situation at all. But I will forgive Belle for this, if only because she may be using this as means to an end, because she wants Zelina to send her to a different realm, one where Rumpel will never find her. Which is a good instinct. And Selena stands up, thus demonstrating that she's like 10 feet taller than Belle somehow. It is wild. I don't know if it made it on air last week, but whenever Selena is standing next to Belle, I'm like, you are you are like a full foot taller than her. Which is weird because I don't think of Belle as being particularly short. I don't think of Selena as being particularly tall. I mean, I know she's wearing heeled boots, so that's giving her a few inches, but she is towering over Belle. We're entering some jolly green giant territory here. Oh, no. Yeah, sorry. Even in the next scene where they're at Granny's and they're sitting in a booth next to each other, they're sitting down and you can still tell how much taller than Belle Zelina is. So, Zelina's like, look, I would love to send you to a faraway realm where I wouldn't have to deal with you coming into my house all willy-nilly, but... In order to open portals to other worlds, I need the Sorcerer's Apprentice's wand, and I don't have that anymore. I thought that got broken when they were in, uh... In the Land of Untold Stories. Yeah, I think it did. Did did Rumpel fix it and get it when he went there? Is that what happened there? Oh, yeah, I think he did get it back. I think Rumpel got it back from Mr. Poole. Yeah, yeah, I think Rumpel got it back. Okay. And then presumably fixed it. Yes. With spellotape. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a pun that only works in England, because in England they call scotch tape sellotape. Uh, yeah, that does only work in England. It's just gonna send Belle to the land of vomiting slugs. Yes. So, Belle and Zelina are trying to hire Aladdin. Who, hey, look, they remembered Aladdin is in this season. Hey, you know who they didn't remember? Because Belle says that Aladdin is the best thief in town. Will Scarlet. I mean, to be fair, Will Scarlet is not a good thief. He's a great thief if you want someone to drunkenly break into a store and then fall asleep while clutching something to his chest. Oh, Will Scarlet. But I mean, this would have been a good point to at least acknowledge that he used to exist. Yeah, he's just gone. Where's Will Scarlet? Where is Will Scarlet? Aladdin is obviously a little hesitant about stealing a wand from the dark one yeah remember when i I guess they couldn't go to him because he's dead now but remember when robin hood tried to steal a wand from him and he ended up getting skinned alive oh right way back in the day yeah back when he was played by the actor who plays lucifer now in the tv show lucifer huh which remember god cop yes i love how lucifer has the exact same premise of God Cop, a show which 30 Rock made as an example of bad TV that's too executive-driven. Wait, but isn't Lucifer based on the Vertigo comic? Yes, but instead of what happens in the Vertigo comic, it's about the devil moving to Chicago and helping the police solve crimes. Okay, 
I like, think it's Chicago. It might be L.A. Oh, oh, okay. well, it's got to be L.A., right? Because the city of angels. Where else would it be? Okay, I'm going to put a pin in that so that you and I can talk about Lucifer at length off the air. The comic or the TV show? The TV show. And I'm going to note here that Jasmine is wearing a white dress with a really deep V-neck and then a white scarf around her neck, and it looks lovely. Jasmine looks way too dressed up in this scene. Jasmine looks way too dressed up and just also way too gorgeous to be sitting next to Aladdin who looks like he does not try. Do you remember that one time when you and I were getting ready for dates the same night and I was like doing my hair and makeup and in a dress and you were in like jeans and a t-shirt and I was like, why? It's like that picture of Ed Sheeran and Beyonce on stage together. Okay, the reason that picture hit a nerve is because it's true. And look, we're seeing it right here with Aladdin and Jasmine. Although, to be fair, Jasmine is really, really overdressed for a diner, but... They're trying to hire Aladdin to do this, and he's... And he is reticent, as we said. So Zelina mentions, hey, uh, the Dark One has the shears now, and so that's kind of your fault, since you brought them into Storybrooke. So go do your hero thing and get the wand, and also the shears. And Aladdin's like... That's not a great argument, but since both Jasmine and I are feeling guilty for things that are at best tangentially our fault, fine. Yes. We're, we only, we're only allowed to be in these episodes for about two minutes at a time. So they don't have time to develop motivation. Back at Rumpel's shop, Rumpel is dusting off his stuff. Uh, so I guess he was in the shop, and maybe if Belle had waited five minutes, she'd have seen him? I think he was just waiting for her to leave. Okay, okay. The evil queen walks in in her Regina drag, and Rumpel is not fooled for, like, a second. I mean, the button-up shirt she's wearing looks like a corset. I'm pretty sure it actually is a corset underneath a suit coat, which I will point out is also what Regina is wearing this episode. Mm. So he's not fooled by this, and she's like, so do you want to get to work? And he's like, no no she's like do you want to have sex and have and pretend i'm the good regina which he pauses and he and then he's like not right now so that's a thing yep actually a lot of this episode reminds me of uh i think it's this year's girl the episode of buffy where i was thinking about that as well or who are you this year's girl is the episode that leads up into who are you but there's a lot of it here especially In a very weird way, this reminds me of the sex scene between Buffy and Riley. Of Faith and Buffy's body and Riley. Right. Where Faith is trying to do all of the weird sex stuff that she thinks Buffy is too prude to do, except it's, you know, network TV, so she can't really get into any of that. So it's all of the wild sex stuff, like girl on top. So since sex has been postponed, Regina tells Rumpel that she's looking for the hammer of Hephaestus. Which is used to give magic to a person who does not have magic. And she wants to give it to Henry. A person who has so much magic that he is a literal god. A person who is an omnipotent on two different levels. But okay, whatever. And then Rumpel's like, oh, sons, they always disappoint you by dying or not wanting you to be abusive to their mother. Yeah, Rumpel's like... It looks like you're trying to get a family, which you have to be careful here. Villains don't get happy endings. The Evil Queen is like, I don't want a happy ending. I just want to be happy, which is a really solid point because 
happy <laughs> endings aren't a real thing. Well, I mean, if it's an ending... If it's an ending, that means you're dead. Except right? not, because we know there's an afterlife. There are There's no such thing as an ending in this show. I mean, technically, isn't Emma being set up for a happy ending with all of her death visions? But... Rumble tells her to be careful because, as her mother taught her, love is weakness. And she says that love can also be a weapon. Bold of Rumple to bring up Cora, his past lover, Who with Cora's killed. daughter, his current lover. Yeah. God, he's hit basically every branch on that family tree, hasn't he? Yeah, basically. We cut back to the beach where Hook is calling Emma, and he's like, something doesn't feel right. She's not picking up to no one. Yes, yes. Thank you, Hook. We got that from context. Then he discovers the broken shards of glass on the beach, the broken shards of the mirror, and also Emma's phone, which has like a million missed calls from him. So the evil queen shows up in Regina Drag and she's like, wow, you're way less dumb than I thought you were, and telekinetically throws him into a rock. I mean, literally, the evidence could not have been clearer, so she must have been thinking he was really dumb. Yeah. Also, this isn't a good permanent solution because as we saw, as we've seen multiple times, concussions aren't really that huge of a deal. And, you know. Well, she could get rid of him and then send a voicemail to David and Mary Margaret that says that he went to New York to join Emma because he got a call that she needed backup. I'm just saying she should have pulled a Cora and turned him into a fish. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a fitting end for a pirate, I feel. And also, if the others tried to find him using a locator spell, it would just bring them to the sea. <gasps> oh, see, that would be perfect. In the mirror universe, Emma and Regina are looking in the mirrors and... Emma's watching, uh, is it Sneezy singing to himself in the mirror? Yes. Every time we get all little dwarf stuff, I'm like, I want more dwarf stuff. But Regina shuts down the mirror and she's like, why isn't anyone useful looking into a mirror right now? The dwarves are, I guess they're not really. I mean, they're not going to help her. They they might be they might be capable, but they're not useful. They're not going to help her. Mm. In Granny's diner, Henry is waiting for Violet. I guess they were going to meet in the diner before they go over to the school. They've got real murderer lighting on in the diner now. The lights are all very low, and the no, I are think lit by. I think it's murderer lighting. Yeah, that's what it looks like. This looks like a very creepy diner. Henry goes back to the mirror that's in the the back hallway to check his hair and face and. Look, someone useful is looking into a mirror. And it's so great because the sweetest thing is that before Regina and Emma get to the work of actually trying to get Henry's attention, they just both take a moment where they're proud moms. Like, oh, look at our little boy all grown up. Regina points out that he looks so scared. So they start banging on the mirror. And despite the whole not being able to affect things in the world beyond, the mirrors start shaking a little bit. And Henry's like, okay, something's going on here. Well, I think it's because there's so much true love at work. <laughs> uh, this is interrupted by the evil queen in Regina Drag, who's like, Hey, Henry, why don't you stop looking at that mirror and go have sex with your teen girlfriend in front of everyone in the diner? Real Regina is hella pissed, by the way. Real Regina is like, how dare she walk around in my pantsuits? And Emma's bummed out because she's like, crap, Henry was our best shot at actually getting out of here. If he doesn't know that we're in here, we're totally boned. Because who's going to get us out? Mary Margaret? Right. 
They see Henry's conversation with the evil queen where he tells her that he's nervous that Violet won't like him. And the evil queen's like, um, she's a commoner and you're a prince. So if she doesn't like you, we'll just throw her in the dungeon. And Henry's like, okay, this definitely seems off. Yeah. Regina's like, someday you might even be a king. And Henry's like, oh, oh, okay. Which is suspicious, but remember back in season two, that's what they were planning. Yeah, he wanted to be a prince. And the evil queen is not doing a great job of pretending to be Regina here. She's talking about how he needs to portray strength and confidence and how uh, he needs to act like everyone is vermin to be crushed under his heels. And She also snaps at him to not slouch. I don't think this is so much the evil queen being bad at parenting. I mean, it is bad at parenting. But I think this is a reflection of how the evil queen doesn't realize how much of the bad parenting was part of the evilness. Hmm. And so she thinks that her parenting is the same as Regina's. She thinks her parenting is better than Regina's because Regina was holding her back from being the best parent she could possibly be. True, true. And she also doesn't think that Henry is going to notice the difference because she doesn't understand how very different it is. So she gives Henry a white rose to bring to Violet. And Henry is Henry just rolls with this situation. Henry brings the rose to Violet and is like, keep looking at me, but... Regina behind me is not Regina. It's the evil queen. Keep smiling. We're going to figure this out. I'm going to need you to come up with an excuse for the two of us to leave. You're going to go get help while I try to get my moms out of the mirror. And Violet is a great girl, but she is not as quick on the uptake as Henry is because her way to get them out of there is, do you like my dress? I wanted a different dress. Let me show you the different dress that I might have worn. Mm, Yeah, it's not a great excuse. But the main reason I think it probably works is because the evil queen is used to dressing with magic. So she probably doesn't remember how normal people dress. Also, Violet is from Camelot, where she probably only owned one or two dresses. So maybe it is strange for her to have like literally a shop full of dresses to choose from. In, in the mirror universe... Regina is rubbing her hands together. It's real weird. She is so pissed that she worked so hard to become a good mother, and now Evil Queen is undoing all of that. So... The dragon shows up. Okay, so the dragon just shows up. Okay. Emma says, there's no one else that can help us. It's just you and I. And the dragon says... That's not entirely true. And then steps out from behind a pillar that he has been hiding behind for hours, waiting for someone to give him a good entry line. They've been here all along. Is he Tony Wonder? That's exactly what I was thinking. He was sitting behind that pillar waiting for someone to say Wonder for like four hours. God. Also, it's convenient that they brought him up at the beginning of the episode for literally no reason. Exactly. Exactly. So now we know that when the evil queen attacked the dragon at the end of last season, she did not kill him. She just sent him to this mirror world. This is like two death fakeouts for this guy. Yep. Yep. That's his his real superpower is being the uh, one non-white character who doesn't get killed. Oh, that's true. Who's not a prince or princess. Yes. Or I guess Sidney Glass who just kind of disappeared. Speaking of. Shouldn't Sidney Glass be here? The last time we saw Sydney Glass, 
he was running away from the Snow Queen. Okay. The Snow Queen used him to get the mirror imbued with dark magic, and then she's like, you have to run now because you don't want to be here for when I do the shattered glass spell and everyone murders each other. I like to think that Sydney Glass is out living in the real world, running a chicken franchise, and assuming that everyone in Storybrooke is dead. Except he couldn't have escaped from Storybrooke because the ice wall was still a thing. Well, maybe he ran out to the edge of town and then as soon as the ice wall fell, just booked it. Was there something after the ice wall? Oh yeah, uh, Emma was turning people into trees after that. How much time, wait, how much time did we have between, was there a period where you could just leave Storybrooke all willy-nilly? I mean, there must have been at least like 10 minutes. I'm trying to think. So the dragon's yelling, starts yelling at Roger for, he's like, I told you that you had to get your evil self under control, not you need to puke her out so she can run around shoving people in mirrors. And Emma and Regina do not have time for his scolding because they're trying to save Henry. And he says that he found a back door. Okay. Sure. So in Mr. Goldshop, Aladdin is stealing as he does. Yeah, he's he's the world's greatest thief or something. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not a professional thief or even an amateur thief, really. But I don't really think you should be using a flashlight. Yeah, it's not a good idea. Especially because, as we see, Rumple is there in the back room spinning straw into gold. Like... A lot of straw. He should definitely have noticed Aladdin. So, especially because Aladdin accidentally sets off a symbol monkey. Yeah, one of those monkeys with the symbols that they clang together. Like in Merlin's Shop of Mystical Wonders. Or like in Phantom of the Opera. Or like in Love Never Dies. I'm assuming. Okay, but somehow Aladdin is not instantly discovered when Rumple goes out into the shop to investigate the noise. He just blames the monkey for distracting him. Aladdin still has a few minutes to skulk around and find the wand and then take off. Oh, I just realized it's a monkey because of... Abu. Yeah, okay. Yeah. By the way, the CGI Abu actually looks really cute in the upcoming Aladdin movie. I'm going in with very low expectations for this movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually going to see it, unlike Beauty and the Beast 2017. I'm not convinced about Will Smith's genie. I'm aggressively not convinced about Will Smith's genie. He doesn't have that style of comedy. So... In the Mirror Universe... Emma tells the dragon that she was looking for him before they got trapped here. For some reason, she thought that he might help them break her parents' curse. And he's like, yeah, no, that's not. I have a very limited range of power. Most of the cool stuff about me comes from being in a land without magic. Yeah, basically. And being the only person in a land without magic who has magic powers, except Henry. Yes. And a flying monkey. So he brings them to a broken mirror, a broken mirror that is the portal out of this mirror universe. And it's very partially like 5% put back together. Sydney was apparently trying to put it back together when he was here, because when Sydney was a mirror, this was where he lived. And that's a bummer, right? So Regina and Emma have to put the mirror back together so that they can get out. Basically, it's a it's a puzzle. It's it's like a puzzle game. That's how you get out, is putting a puzzle together. Mm. It seems pretty easy. I'm surprised it's taking them so long. 
the pieces are huge. Like, it would make sense if you had to put, like, all of the powder back as well. But, yeah, yeah, no, it's just the giant shards of glass. So Henry goes into the vault, and he starts talking to Amir, and he's like, hey, guys, I know you're trapped in there. I know the evil queen did a switcheroo. I'm going to get you out. Don't worry, but... Give me a sign, like, I I do want to know that I'm not wasting my time and that she just didn't kill you and throw your corpses in there. And the evil queen shows up and is like, that's not how any of this works, Henry. You can't just talk to a mirror and expect them to talk back to you. Despite the fact that a lot of this show is built on, yes, you can just talk to a mirror and expect them to talk back to you. Mm. And then the evil queen tries to prove that she is Henry's mom by bringing up all of the things she knows about Henry, which are basically all of the things he was scared of when he was a child. Um, as I said earlier in this episode, maybe he was scared because his mother was an evil witch queen who had him trapped in a town where he was the only person who aged. Yeah, she's basically like, look, you were actually raised by two parents. I was the tough one and Regina was the nice one. And for some reason, she thinks this is a winning argument for why he should trust her. Honestly, I don't get what her thought process is here, because her whole thing is like, I was the one who toughened you up, therefore you should be happy I trapped your other moms behind a mirror, because I want you to be strong, so what? I know, I know. Henry tells her that she can't Darth Vader him. Like, I will never join you. And she's like, I showed you Star Wars! Henry's like, you can't Darth Vader me. I'm not going to join you. And she's like, oh, we both watched enough of those movies to know that Darth Vader wasn't so black and white. I mean. So she watched the prequels with him. Oh, she is the evil parent. (laughs) It's time for your favorite Star Wars movie, Henry. Episode two. Oh, God. Do you remember what happened in episode two? I remember like they fought a monster in some sort of pit and someone had a gun that shot snakes at Padme. Anakin hates sand in that one. That's the one where he oh. says he hates sand. I think, right? That's not three. That's two. That is, I think that's two. By the way, one of the recent Star Wars comics has confirmed who Anakin's dad is. Uh-huh. It It's, it's Palpatine. He used the force to get Anakin's mom pregnant. Weak sauce. Okay, I, I, we have been talking for far too long for you to bring up what's wrong with the extended Star Wars universe, and I, for me to go into it, which is that an extended, an extended universe should extend the universe, not, not close it off by having it just be a story about one family and everyone's related to everyone, I say as we watch Once Upon a Time. So you liked the whole race parents not being anyone important thing? Yes! Yes! It's like Into the Spider-Verse, right? Anyone could be Spider-Man. By the way, see Into the Spider-Verse if you haven't already. See it now. Yeah. Stop listening to the podcast. Go bring friends. So in the Mirrorverse... The Evil Queen is using the dragon's heart to talk to Emma and Regina. Yes, she is in the vault with the dragon's heart with Henry And she is controlling the dragon to basically bring them all together. So now Henry can actually see his moms in the mirror. And the evil queen is going to make Henry face the fear of losing a parent by having the dragon turn into a literal dragon and kill both of his moms. Yep. Yep. It's basically the end of Sleeping Beauty. 
Although I have to say, when the dragon turns into a dragon, I think it looks better than when Maleficent turned into a dragon on this show. Yeah, the CGI is better here. I think that's because it's almost more cartoonish. Mm. So it's not as hard an ask than the Maleficent dragon. Emma has the same seriously she had when she uh, faced the Maleficent dragon. Oh, I didn't even notice that. You're right. I, you know, it's been a while since we had Emma exhausted by having to be in a fairy tale. So that's a nice callback, too. Yeah. She tries throwing a light blast, but apparently magic doesn't work in here, except for the dragon's magic. I think the dragon's magic is coming from the evil queen at this point. We've already been told that you don't have magic in the mirror world. So... Henry points out, he's like, why are you doing this? If Regina dies, you die. And and the evil queen says, oh, I know that Regina's not going to die in there because you're going to save her. You are going to use the hammer of Hephaestus to kill the dragon. And then you'll understand me more because you'll have murdered someone. Okay, so a couple of things. Hmm. A good note that the dragon's heart is completely pure, which... Uh, which is nice. He actually has no evil in him. So it makes it a harder ethical question for Henry. Mm. Although uh, when we saw Jekyll's heart, it didn't have any darkness, even though he threw a woman out the window. So Yeah, good point. They could have just forgot. But they remembered when we saw David and Mary Margaret's hearts, theirs were infused with quite a bit of darkness. Mm. Also, she gives Henry the hammer of Hephaestus to smash the heart with. That seems unnecessary. Like you could just crush the heart. Or you could use the heart to make him stop attacking. I, I don't, I don't know why they, I I guess they, I guess they really wanted a scene with the evil queen and Rumpel in this episode and that's how they felt like they could get it. So Regina comes up with the idea to have the dragon blast the mirror with fire, therefore punching a hole into the real world. Sure, why not? And they keep talking about which one is going to sacrifice herself to get that to happen, to be basically the bait. And they're like, no, you need to stay here for Henry. No, you need to stay here for Henry. And then Regina admits that she's afraid to raise Henry alone. Because seeing Henry with the evil queen reminds her of all of the bad things that she did to Henry when he was growing up. And then Emma's like, how about if we co-parent? Let's do this together, and then neither of us has to die. Yeah. Split the focus, you know? I like that plan. I like the neither of us has to die plan. Mm. And they do. They lure the dragon to the portal and have him blast it, but it doesn't really seem to do anything. Meanwhile, the evil queen is standing over Henry's shoulder, urging him on to kill the dragon. And Henry's like, Please don't make me do this. And the evil queen's like, well, as my mother showed me, all you need is a little push. And he's like, you trapped your mother in a mirror. So maybe you should revisit your mother's mothering techniques and how exactly this is going to end. Oh my God, that is how it ends. Henry does push her into an alternate universe, just, you know, with love. Also, also... You hired someone to kill your mom. Maybe this isn't the relationship you want to emulate. Oh, man. And then then you actually did kill your mom. Although that was on snow. Right. So Henry uses the Henry uses the hammer to smash the mirror, breaking open the universe and letting his moms out. Yeah. Well, this actually reminded me of the scene in Angel when 
when the vampire hunters that used to work with Gunn give Fred the crossbow and tell her that she has to kill the vampires or else they're going to kill her. And then she just aims it at them and is like, you gave me a weapon! (laughs) Dumbass! So the dragon breathes fire through the... uh... The weakened glass that Henry has hit with the hammer of Hephaestus. Which breaks everyone out. Henry, it's great. Before the fire comes, Henry just grabs the dragon's heart and uh, dives to the side while the evil queen gets fireballed in the face. I think that's a really nice touch. It's a nice touch that not only did Henry find a way to not kill the dragon, but he went out of his way to save him. Mm. It is nice. And now everyone's out and the evil queen's like... Come on, Henry. You see what I was trying to do here? I was trying to help you. And Henry's like, that wasn't helpful. You're never going to have what you want until you, you know, stop being a dick to everyone all the time. So the evil queen moves in like she's going to attack them. But then Hook jumps up from behind her. So I guess he's recovered from his concussion. Yeah, And he's like, don't move your majesty unless you enjoy the feel of a hook piercing your flesh. And she's like, oh my god, really? She's so annoyed. She just teleports away. She isn't. I mean, she's invincible. Right? Oh my god. Hook is so bad at this. But, you know, I guess he did get her to go away. Henry got her to go away with his pointy, pointy words. Hook just showed up and got credit for it. I mean, isn't that what Hook does best? Uh, Yeah, I guess it kind of is what Hook does best. He shows up at the end, does the bare minimum, and gets credit. On the streets of Storybrooke, Aladdin is talking with Jasmine, and he gives her a lamp that he also stole while he was in Gold's shop. And Jasmine asks if the genie's in it, and he's like, no, we couldn't get Gus Fring back. Okay, so I think it's funny that he's like, no, the genie has moved on, which you and I were also just talking about. Where is he? More people should be wondering where he is. Although, this could be a different genie. Also, when did Aladdin hang out with the genie exactly? Because his savior powers kind of took the role of the genie in the Aladdin story we saw play out. Huh. So was this just a genie they both happened to know? Okay, it's probably best to not dwell on all of this. But the genie's not there anymore, but maybe they can use the lamp to figure out what happened to Agrabah somehow. Yeah, that's that's for a later episode. They're only allowed to be in the episode for three minutes, and they already blew two minutes earlier. They need to cut this scene very short. Back in the farmhouse, Zelina is looking at the sorcerer's wand and honestly taking too much time because Rumple shows up and bamps it away, like, immediately. Which, which Belle points out. Belle's like, maybe you should stop looking at it and just send me over before anything happens, and then anything happens. Yeah, Rumple shows up, claims that he always knew that Aladdin was in the shop, and basically used this as an opportunity to track Belle down. Then he fucking slaps a cuff on her wrist that will prevent her from leaving because he's a fucking abuser. Yeah, she's like, you're a beast, and he's like, that's not, no, I'm not a beast because beasts don't have knowledge of what they're doing. Like, I'm fully aware that my actions are bad. That that doesn't make me a beast. That makes me a monster. Okay. Honestly, I, I'm so troubled by this scene. This is the most explicitly abusive thing that Rumpel does, I think. Belle is clearly terrified of him and he tells her, like, if you won't let me be a part of his life, I'm going to take this baby from you. Rumpelstiltskin takes babies. You are not going to stop me from being with my son. 
And Zelina chimes in because Zelina has decided to be suddenly the be- one of the better characters in this show. Right. Zelina's like, hey, remember when you thought you were going to get Neil back and now he's dead? Which maybe not the best time to bring this up given that she's the person who killed Neil. Although I think perhaps Zelina was doing this on purpose because Rumble immediately turns his attention on her and starts force choking her, which causes him to start having a heart attack because he made a magical deal with Zelina that he would not harm her. That was a real long time ago, so good continuity, I guess. Yeah, and now we know Rumpel cannot kill Zelina. Rumpel cannot harm Zelina, and she is so excited about that. She's, like, just gonna stand next to him and make sarcastic comments all day long. Which, as Rumpel points out, he's like, yeah, okay, so I can't physically hurt you, but I'm Rumpel Stiltskin. I find loopholes, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's not hurting that can fuck you up. Rumpel out. Yep. And then Selena and Belle high five. Then we go back to the David and Mary Margaret plot. Mary Margaret is putting baby Neil to bed and starting to write her daily note to David before she wakes him up and is just so tired of this whole thing, which I get. It's exhausting, but you've been doing it for like a week. If that, it's been like three days. Calm down. Come on, Snow. Power through. But she can't. She leans over kisses David, and he wakes up and finds the piece of paper in her hand where she started to write a note and then just couldn't bring herself to do it and understands that this means that Mary Margaret has basically reached the end of her rope here. Mary Margaret has given up already. After like a week. I know we were I know we were praising these scenes earlier in the episode, but come on, Mary Margaret, get it together! It was a really good scene, but it is still Snow and David, so. So what you're saying is Mary Margaret's got to marry Margaret? Yes, Mary Margaret's going to marry Margaret. After that, we go to Granny's Diner, where Henry and Violet are finally having their date. And Henry kind of brings up the fact that Violet's been pulling away from him. And Violet's like, look, I grew up in Camelot, and we're now in high school, apparently, and I am so far behind on everything. Like, Yeah, she's just a little overwhelmed. You need to give her some space, Henry, is what she says. Which, by the way, good on Violet. Because I could see your response also being to kind of cling to the guy who was, who you knew, who could be like a stabilizing force for you. But instead, she's pulling away and trying to figure everything out on her own. Yeah, she's having trouble adjusting to things, which, logical. And... I do like that she specifically brings up school because this is all unfamiliar material for her. Also, the social dynamics she's been thrust into are deeply foreign to her, which I have some questions about that because the school should not have a solid social system yet. You have the kids who have memories of the real world. Right. You have uh, Violet. And presumably any other kids from Camelot who decide to stay. I think most of them went back, but maybe not everyone. Sure. And then you've got the kids from the Land of Untold Stories. Also, theoretically, you have a bunch of lost boys. Right, they came over too. Yeah, you have people at all different levels of comfort with the modern world. And people who've grown up in vastly different social systems. Yeah, I... it is... It would actually be interesting to kind of explore what that is like. By the way, in the novelization, Henry and Violet, mm. they 
that author, I think, was unfamiliar with the concept of Once Upon a Time because she just writes it as though they've all been in school together the whole time for their whole lives. Missed opportunity. So Henry and David start dancing and his moms are sitting across the street watching him because it's it's Storybrooke. You can't do anything without someone sitting across the street watching you from a car. It's true, but it's actually really nice because... What they say is we were so worried about who was going to raise Henry, and he's he's raised. He's the most competent character on the show. Like, if anyone else had to deal with us being stuck in a mirror, it would have been bare minimum a four-episode arc. In Gold's shop, the evil queen is, I was going to say back in her evil queen dress, but no, she took this from the costume department at Dynasty. I was going to say she's doing a evil magical version of the Breakfast at Tiffany's look. Kind of that, too, which I guess is also a way to describe the dresses they wear on Dynasty. True. So Rumpel's like, so, looks like your kid hates you as much as all my kids hate me. And she, and she's like, all children rebel. He'll, he'll see I'm right eventually. Oh, evil queen. That's not the way it works. And then they just start making out. Yep. Which is weird, because... Yeah. But before they have sex, Rumpel wants the evil queen to do him a favor just a little thing just a tiny little favor before they like do it please go kill zelina wah wah episode over so this was also a really good episode yes as we said i quite enjoyed this episode not quite on the level as last episode but still really good yes yeah it it benefits from having a couple of really solid set pieces, and just that intro is so good. It really, really is. I think that intro might have been the high point of this season. Oh, yeah. I know I said it was my favorite part of the show. That might be going a little far. It might just be because I was in sort of a down... I was in a down place with the show until the last couple of episodes, but... It's true. Well, I mean, with good reason. Yeah. So, let's talk about our segments. I want to talk about recommendations, a thing that I recommend tied in with this episode. Mm-hmm. And that's the Discworld book, which is Abroad. Which is, A, very related to this show. It's all about fairy tales. And that one specifically is very focused on... Mirrors. Yes. It's a great book, and if you haven't read the Discworld series, it's a good intro point into the Discworld series. I was going to say it's a fairy tale deconstruction, but it's not really. It it's is... just a fairy tale. Yeah. I was going to say it's a fairy tale deconstruction, but it's not really. It's more of a fairy tale reconstruction. It's about the importance of fairy tales. Oh, I like that. Yes, accurate. Although it does do some breaking down of, you know, tropes. But it's a Discworld book, so. Also, just one more tiny back to Once Upon a Time. They have alcoholic cider. Oh, yeah. Apples. Mostly. Yes. In Discworld, unlike in Once Upon a Time, they understand how alcoholic cider is supposed to be. Yes. Emma, the cider Regina served you was not spiked. Cider is actually alcoholic. You don't say someone served me spiked vodka. Uh, Oh, Emma. So Fashion Corner... Okay, so this was a real good episode for the Evil Queen. I mean, shocking, right? For a change? Right. I mentioned the Evil Queen's outfit at the beginning of the episode, which was amazing. But also, 
Regina's outfit with the red corset underneath the black pantsuit. I mean, I need to go get a red corset because that's going to be my new go-to work outfit. I just love in the Evil Queen pretending to be Regina outfit, the really odd design of the collar, is it? Yeah, yeah, the the collar of her jacket was something I don't even know how to describe because I've never seen it before. And the thing we saw Jasmine wearing before, the white dress with the white scarf, that was a different white dress and white scarf than we saw her wearing earlier, right? Yeah, apparently that's just her uniform. She just has, like, a closet full of white dresses, which... With different white scarves? I mean, it might be the same scarf. It might be the same scarf. But, but I'm, I'm here for that. It's a, it's a fashion scarf, though, not a it's cold outside scarf. Yes, yes. So I think that's it for this episode. That should about do it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you would like to become one of those supporters, you could go to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It's a good way for other people to find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. We can also be found at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Light on your door to show that you're home.